Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast from Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to get into God's Word every single day, so we decided to read through the Bible chronologically and talk about it together. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Chelsea, and you're listening to God's Whole Story Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host Ryan. And we have Andrew Kelly here with us today again, because he heard that we were talking about Exodus, and he was like, let me in on this. I know, and you've heard people question, is there too much of a good thing? But I think the important question here is, is there too much of a mediocre thing? Or <laughs> okay thing? Me and Chelsea have been here the whole time. So. Yeah, we're as mediocre as I think we have, a, we have a clear answer on that. <laughs> So today we are jumping into Exodus, and I am so excited about it. I love Exodus, and I love Moses. Um, and just to remind you guys, so we're going from a book of wisdom uh, from Job into another narrative of Exodus. And this Exodus is kind of the life of Moses and the Israelites leaving Egypt, leaving slavery, going into the wilderness. And it has like these different 40-year periods um, so 40 years with Moses, um, as an Egyptian, 40 years, Moses is in Midian and then 40 years in the wilderness after they escape Egypt. So that's one way to look at the book. And then another thing that I want to talk about too, is just looking at Exodus as it's written and seeing the parallels between what's happening in this book and what happens with Christ and seeing, um, kind of the Christology, if I'm going to use a big word in Exodus, um, you have a prince who grew up in a royal palace, grew up with everything he ever wanted. Um, and then he is raised up as a deliverer. He goes to a people who question him, persecute him, don't want him to leave them. Does it sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> there is several um, Christ figures mm-hmm. in literature. So, like uh, I think I think Jesus is described as a new Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be described as a new Moses. Yeah. Um, What's cool about reading the Old Testament through the eyes of looking for Christ is that every Christ figure you encounter, there's always Christ is always the better one. There's a better Adam. There's a better Moses. There's a better King from King David. That's Jesus. Like there's always a better one to come, and that person is found in Jesus Christ. So it's going to be really cool. I can't wait to walk through this book. I am very happy to report that uh, my period of exile is now over because I think this is true historical narrative as well. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. Wait. This is not a fairy tale. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so confused. What was the period of exile? Well, here's the thing. Ryan thinks that Job wasn't real. <laughs> uh, and she made me say we're it while in a we were fight recording. about it. <laughs> I thought we were just going to like talk about it before we turned stuff on. And then she was like, hey, Ryan, tell everybody about how you don't think this is real. <laughs> but it sounds like a 50 50 thing, either he was or he wasn't. And so well, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going into Exodus. That's where we're going. Um, so, what did you guys think when we were reading through Exodus? What stood out to you? Um, so much. Is that an okay answer? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And if you just stop there, we can end the episode. <laughs> I know. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, so we have uh, Israel in Egypt. We learn why they become slaves. We get introduced to Moses. So lots of things to c- kind of cover here. There's a couple things um, that I want to like. So we, we went from Genesis to Job, mm-hmm. which is really valuable because we're kind of doing this chronological thing. But there are a couple things lost on you if you've been living in Job world for days. Um, coming into Exodus world, we want you to remember that like Joseph is part of this story. Uh, also, don't forget that God actually told Abraham, 
your people are going to go to this land. They will be in slavery for a bit, mm-hmm. um, and you'll be brought out. So there is this really, really interesting uh, piece of sovereignty that we're dealing with. Like, like before we turn everything on, uh, Andrew and Chelsea and I were talking about, like, man, this is this is really tough. Here you have a, a huge people group in exile, or not not exile. I'm sorry, uh, in slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's kind of exile too, but they're they're trapped in slavery, and God put them there. And it was originally provision from God to save the Israelites. It's told from the very beginning. Right. Uh, also, an interesting thing that I want to bring a little bit of context to, you guys laughed at me when I said this, but we are moving from kind of ancient history uh, to the audience, so to more modern history to the audience. So right. uh, a lot of folks think it's about 300 years in between. Mm-hmm. So if you want to consider like the pilgrims, you've heard a lot about the pilgrims. That's how Genesis would feel to the original audience. Oh, that's about the pilgrims. And now this would be like modern day history um, that they could, you know, like they might be much younger than the people that actually went through this, but they're very close. So this is like going from the pilgrims to like modern day stuff. Right. It's kind of <laughs> autobiographical yeah. for Moses. I know. If we think back about what's happened across what we know about history in just our, so to speak, land in our bubble in our world in the last 300 years, yeah, that's a big gap. That's it's kind big of gap. like, yeah. like what, it, that feels like ancient history already. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. I think, and we look at the multiplication of the Israelites again, like if you take the end of Genesis, God multiplies the people of Israel going in right into Exodus, God's still multiplying them. So that like reading between the lines there, God's still blessing Israelites, despite the fact that they're in slavery, they're powerful. They're a powerful nation. That promise is continuing. Yes. So the, the really exciting thing to me in Genesis was there's this line about, um, the family was now 70. Mm -hmm. Now the family is much bigger than 70 millions and the babies just keep coming. Yep. And the problem apparently is that the women are just too fast at having babies. (laughs) And the midwives can't keep up. And there's only two of them, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I Okay, I love the midwives here. Like, I think that it's really cool that they get a shout-out by name. Um, it's a big deal to be Lord a woman that's named them. in the Bible. Yeah. It's, the, yeah. The Lord blesses them with families. That's so cool. They feared God, and they did not fear Pharaoh, but they obeyed God. How cool is that? And what's not cool is throwing babies, babies in the Nile. Yikes. I hate that. <laughs> Yikes. Moses. Let's get into Moses. I love Moses. Who I was Moses guy? in my high school living museum. <laughs> oh, well, you, <laughs> you I just, have all you had need a, to talk about. Just had a huge beard. I had a con- Why didn't you tell us this before we started recording? I would have just let you handle this whole episode. It was very exciting. I <laughs> knew very little about Moses. I just knew, like, that nah, sounds fun. <laughs> okay, so Moses is not Charles Heston. Uh, you know what's funny? You said earlier about how uh, here's a prince who lives in a kingdom that has all he ever wanted. And I was like, oh, that's a song in The Prince of Egypt. All I ever wanted. Because <laughs> yes. that, that was also the movie that I would play when I was scared at night. We and love I had to watch prince a movie to be to stay safe. <laughs> that's the one you would play? Prince of Egypt. I love that movie. I love well, it. Are scary to this day, if that. I turn on Prince of Egypt, it like makes me emotional. Oh, it's very weird. I mean, the songs in that, okay. All jokes aside, Prince of Egypt is a great movie. <laughs> But don't think that it's actually... Right, it's not accurate at all. It's not accurate. So what's cool about... So again, he's not Charles Heston. He's not the animated Moses and Prince of Egypt. He's actually 40 years old. We know from Acts. He's 40 years old when he kills this Egyptian. He leaves Egypt and is in Midian for 40 years old, for 40 years. And then Moses is 80 years old when God appears to him in a burning bush and he goes back to Egypt. 
How crazy is that? That yeah. blows my mind. I think that like the passage of time, I think always is is such a big thing to me, especially when we're considering God's will for our lives, because all of us are asking those big, what's God's will for my life questions as um, we're graduating high school and then across our 20s that get shaped into other things and then across our 30s and think about how much people accomplish or expect people to accomplish at 40 years of age and yet for Moses he's just getting started so to speak what we know about Moses I mean um, just um, the playoffs have just happened so much focus is put on Tom Brady and his age and look at what Tom Brady's accomplished by 40 but it may be very possible (laughs) That God has a lot more to accomplish in anybody's life. In Tom Brady's life. I know that's what he's going to do when he's 80 years old. <laughs> I instantly yeah. regret that we just mentioned Tom Brady. <laughs> um, that was for that was for our past, our senior pastor. That was for Pastor Matt because I think that there's a lot to be learned from that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But Moses, we have no idea what all happened in Moses' life um, other than, uh, you know, up to this point. Like that, and and so it's kind of yeah. crazy as we consider God's will for our lives. I think it's important to not be able to write off, you know, what can God possibly do with me now because right. I am dot dot dot, and not write off because of sin. Because if you look at this, Moses right. was like a cold blooded murderer. He looked around to see if anybody was watching. He murdered somebody, and I think he went back to those Hebrews expecting a big party and a big welcome. So and they were just like, he was not good at noticing if people were watching. He was not good at noticing that, I guess, because they did notice. <laughs> Word got around pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a nation of a billion people, it's, it's going to happen. Um, I think. I think as we get to the end of the reading today, there's some pretty interesting kind of bookends. Like we're going to get kind of an introduction at the beginning of Exodus. We're going to get a, a closing at the end of Exodus. So things like um, God saying, "Like, hey, you're going to come back to this mountain, and you're actually going to deliver my words at this very mountain." Okay, so we get like the intro. There's going to be a conclusion. It's going to bookend really, really well. Um, there's also this really cool prophecy that that is God is speaking out. Uh, think about how crazy this sounds to Moses, like originally talking to God. Like, hey, you are going to be delivered from Egypt. And when you leave Egypt, the people are just going to give you all their stuff. And we see that happen at the end of the book of Exodus, yeah. this really bizarre situation where the Israelites plunder the Egyptians because the Egyptians just give their stuff away. So, I mean, that would sound insane, <laughs> um, but we see God do exactly that. So I, I do love kind of the intro conclusion nature of this book. Um, I, I actually just love this story so much. I feel like there's a, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Uh, one other goofy thing that I noticed, um, God heals Moses of leprosy. That's going to end up being like a, like a key thing that Jesus walks around doing, like mm-hmm. healing lepers. Yeah. Um, so I, I just love when we see Old Testament things that are going to come back around, you know, when we see, because there, there's no such thing as Old Testament, New Testament. It's just actually God's story. Yeah. And so God's I love it when we story. see God doing what Jesus does because he is one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not new. Um, but that is one of the ways that God revealed himself to Moses. Like, hey, you have leprosy? Look, I just healed it. That's how Jesus reveals himself to the people yeah. Everywhere he goes. Yeah. I, I love it. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, another thing that stuck out to me is we are first introduced to the name Yahweh. Yeah. Which is a powerful name of God for the Israelites. Um, I am who I am. There are so many deep questions that, that come to mind that that I, I feel like uh, 
a lot of, well, I'm sure a lot of people have had these questions and a lot of people, a lot of like really smart people know these answers. And, and so I'm like, gosh, I really want to dig in and kind of know some of these answers. You mentioned, Chelsea, that there's a book that, um, yes, everything <laughs> I'm saying about Moses, everything I say about the book of Exodus is from Chuck Swindoll's book on Moses it is so good. It reads like, it reads like a story and he talks about just cultural history. He talks about what this would have mean. He's the one that drew attention for me to Moses's age and when ministry started for Moses at age 80, which is so cool. That blew my mind when I read it, even though it's freely available in the book of Acts. <laughs> I, I like, I, I, I'm really, I, I, I mean, this stuff always intrigues me when I hear this and when I put it in context or when I hear it in context of like that, it that, that even though there's like these highlight events that are pointed out here, they happened across a big span of years. And to Moses, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, it just says it was just one day when he was tending his flock. It was just one day when he was doing what he had been doing for years. Mm-hmm. And um, and all of a sudden, the Lord appeared to him. And I'm, of course, incredibly intrigued about, like, I, I, there's always this part of me that wants to know more about, like, how did Moses become such a close, so to speak, friend of God, you know? How did that happen? And I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I just know that Moses is seen across the rest of the Bible as nobody had quite that that closeness with God. Like, of course, apart from Jesus, but but he he sits apart from how he was able to communicate. He was able to communicate with God and, and speak to Him face to face, like a like a friend, or, or or have that conversation. I don't know if I'm getting my semantics right, but like. Um, but um but he's it, but his relationship with God stands out yeah. across the rest of scripture as different. I think that's why I love Moses so much. I think I think that's actually why I love Moses so much because he's like such a friend of God and he has this crazy relationship with God that is unrivaled throughout the rest of the Bible and he's emotional like he gets mad in this book, he gets angry at the Israelites, he's so upset when they're ungrateful. He tells he God talks, no. He tells God no. Like and and he, pleads and says, please not that God. He has this like relationship with God that's so like almost human as you would have a relationship with somebody yeah. else, which is, it's just a beautiful thing. And then, oh my gosh, should I give a spoiler alert? At the end of, is it Exodus? When does this happen? When, when Moses dies? I can't remember. Um, We'll get there eventually. I know. But, is, is it talked about at the beginning of Joshua or at the end? I think it's right before Joshua, yeah. whenever that is. But God buries Moses. Like yeah. Moses just dies peacefully and God takes his body and buries it. Like I just like And even though how crazy he, is that? he had told Moses he had been like, I'm I'm angry of what yeah. you've done, so you're not gonna see the promised land. But there was still this very, very close relationship. Yes. Uh it's so cool. Yeah. Anyway. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. Um, we're so excited about the book of Exodus, and we can't wait to keep reading it with you. And hey, go ahead and follow us on God's Whole Story Podcast on Instagram, where we're talking about just what we're studying, what we're doing. And if you have any questions, let us know, and we'd love to try our best to find some answers for you. And we'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. 
In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked with the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy in the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked alongside the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find the Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, Moses went out to visit his people again, and he saw two of the Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh had heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds, and he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, 
Why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered, and then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Then where is he? Their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation and settled there with him. In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. First Chronicles 6, beginning in verse 1. The sons of Levi were Goshen, Koath, and Merari. The descendants of Koath included Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses come in to take a closer look, God called him to the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take your sandals off, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. 
But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth." But Moses protested again, What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out, again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord said to Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But the Lord pleaded, 